Father, thank you again for this uh, glorious occasion, Lord. It's just been a fabulous Easter. I know there's a lot of folks away and may they be celebrating and just drawing closer to yourself over this Easter. It's not just another Easter, Lord. May this one be special to each one of us where we are drawn closer to yourself, where we are drawn in, in awe and wonder to the cross and, and then again to the empty tomb where we, Lord, enter into that time with the disciples, those who first visited there and, and the impact that you had on them. And we're going to talk about that tonight. And Father, we just pray your, your blessing upon our time together here and wherever the rest of our church family is, keep them safe on the roads, watch over them. And just may they be just so engrossed in their time with you, those moments when they just really draw close to you. And Father, we pray that we'll have such a moment here tonight where we will draw so near to yourself. Thank you already for the, the beautiful worship time that we've already enjoyed, Lord. Just, just great to be here, to be amongst other believers and to do this openly and freely. Thank you so much for this privilege. Lord, not sure how long it's going to be, but here we are and we want to say thank you. Thank you, Lord that we can enjoy this time together here. So speak to us. May we seize the moment, seize the opportunities that we have and just draw close to you and, and, yeah, and be able to share this message openly with others around us. So bless us, Lord. Open our eyes and our hearts tonight, we pray in your precious name. Amen. Um, over the years, and, I, and I'm sure that many of you could probably relate to this at various times um, <clears throat> through work and other things, I've been able to attend and sometimes been involved with seminars on leadership and or on mentoring. Anyone been to such seminars or had lectures or anything like that? So, yep, there's, there's been a couple of you probably in that category. And um, often there's a lot of questions that are asked. And one of the questions uh, that I've heard asked, it goes like this. Who has had the greatest effect or impact on your life as you were growing up and why so who can you think of who has had the greatest impact on your life as you were growing up or as you're still growing up who is that and why is that I wonder what you'd be thinking as I've asked you that question already and uh, what your answer might be and I guess as, I, as I've thought about it, I've got to be honest, and, and as I think about that myself, I've got to say it's Rosemary's father. He was a pastor for some 40-something years and in Africa as a missionary. And, and I had the privilege of growing up in that family, I suppose, as a Christian, young Christian. And uh, it was Rosemary's dad. Some of you would know him, Roy Conwell. Um, he was a great mentor to me. Uh, he was a, a great model, a role model to me. He's a guy that sort of demonstrated to me how you treat people, how you, treat, how you love people, how you treat people. And I got so much from him. And, and it was informal. He, he probably wouldn't, wasn't even aware of the impact that his life and his role modelling and his informal mentoring had on me. But it really did. And uh, unbeknownst to him and to me, God was using that relationship, that mentoring, that influence, that role modelling to shape and mould me and prepare me, I think, for pastoral ministry. I've got a lot of tips from him over the years. It's very powerful. And you know, what this also does, the things I've just been talking about, what this also does is just highlight the, the importance of, I think, each one of us having a mentor in our lives. 
I've got about three or four mentors. Sometimes we co-mentor or I mentor that person and I've got someone who mentors me. So important to have that. I recommend that if you haven't thought about having a mentor in your life, a person who can positively impact your life in a godly way, and I'm talking for Christians here, and make sure it's a good mentor and make sure it's a godly mentor. That's the sort of person you need in your life. That's the influence you need in your life. That's the sort of thing you want people to impact in, in your life. There's plenty around you that will drag you down, plenty of people that you'll work with and know will suck you dry as it were emotionally spiritually but you want people who can speak into your life people who can feed you and nourish you if you haven't got some pray that God will bring someone along like that to your life so very very important that you have that person who speaks in your life and has that powerful you know godly influence and I think about that, I think about this passage. I just think about chapters 20 and 21 with the resurrection of Christ. You see, out of these, out of these two final chapters um, of John's gospel that record the events of the resurrected Christ, what I want to do tonight is to, is to glean some gems from the lives of individual people. I've got three people I want to talk about tonight. And, and I could spend, we could spend a series on each one of these individuals. So we're just going to kind of walk together with this and we're just going to pick up these nuggets, just kind of glean the things that God's going to show us um, and in, a, in a brief kind of a way. Uh, as I said, I, I don't feel I'm doing justice to this. But with the time we've got tonight, I want you to see what God's saying and, and, uh, and let's just hear what he, what he says to us. As we look at the way that Jesus personally impacted, the way he personally and deeply affected people immediately after his resurrection before he ascended and i want to talk about three people tonight the first one is mary how can we not talk about mary you know mary understandably uh, mary was still uh, absolutely grief stricken as we read through here as she stood at the tomb on that resurrection morning um, she had such a devoted love for the Lord Jesus such a, a a love for him such a desire to follow him and serve him and you probably know as I know there are some secular historians and others who would try to make something sensual out of that and try to make something sexual out of the relationship that Mary had with Jesus hence the, the Dan Brown book and movie the uh, Da Vinci Code stuff and other things but we know that as we know the Lord Jesus, we know this, the gospel message that nothing could be further from the truth. You know, <laughs> the world has absolutely no idea. No idea and it never will. It never will. You know, there's a, as I thought about this, there's a, there's, a, there's a kind of a beauty, there's a beauty, there is a purity about the sinless Jesus that I believe that even you and I, as believers, we can't really comprehend that. No matter how close we walk with Jesus, while we walk in this form, we are still sin-tainted people. And I don't think we can really comprehend how pure and how tra transparent and how sinless, you know, uh, beautiful Jesus really was as a person. I don't think we can really comprehend that. And I don't think there's, well, there's no one on earth, no one at all on the earth, that we could compare this in terms of his beauty and his transparency. However, one day we will. 
One day we will know. One, because you see, one day we will be like him. One day we will be like Jesus. And we will see him as he really is. 1 John 3, 2. One day we'll be just like him. But you know, there were, there were numbers of women um, who supported, who accompanied Jesus and his disciples during their ministry during their ministry journeys. And Luke mentions that, and it's worth mentioning here in the context of this whole uh, story about Mary at the moment. But Luke mentions this quite a bit in his gospel. Uh, For example, uh, chapter 8, verse 1 to 3 says this, After this, Jesus travelled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's, Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. And I just think, what a heartwarming glimpse into how these wonderful ladies, out of their love, out of their gratitude and faith, supported the Lord Jesus in his ministry. You know, what a blessing they were. And I want to say, what a blessing you ladies of faith are today. You know, when you do these things for the Lord Jesus and his church today, it is a blessing. I want to encourage you tonight, don't ever think that what you do out of your love for the Lord is ever insignificant, no matter how small it is, no matter how kind of behind the scenes or secret it might be. Don't ever think that's insignificant. Jesus always, always notices what you do for him. Just remember the widow who put the little tiny copper coins in. No one else noticed that. But he noticed, didn't he? He notices when you do things for him. So be encouraged by that. Mary Magdalene, she was one of of such ladies. And while the other disciples in this passage returned to their homes after they'd been to the tomb, Mary remained at the empty tomb, deeply upset and trying to fathom what had happened, what had happened to the Lord that she loved and served. And it was then that she saw the two angels who spoke to her. And, you know, just thinking about that and taking a slightly different angle to what we normally would do, I I think we, there are times we just need to say, Lord, thank you for your angels. Thank you for the ministry that they have for us, to us. Thank the Lord for these angels and the ministry that they they have for us. Um, The Bible describes angels in this way. Just one passage, for example, says this, and I think it gives a pretty good definition of what angels do. Um, Hebrews 1.14. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? And you see, they in themselves are not the answer. And that's important to get that tonight. Angels are there, they will minister to us, but they in themselves are not the answer. And the true angels of God will tell you that themselves. They never draw attention to themselves always they will say worship God worship God he's the one Jesus Jesus they will point to Jesus they don't say hey look at me all right 
If you ever sense something like that is happening or people start telling you about angels or whatever it is, they don't draw attention themselves. They're ministering spirits for us and they point us to Jesus. One of the key, key ways of discerning whether or not these angels are from God or from somewhere else. I think it's important just to have a, a bit of a think about that. They're not in themselves the answer. They don't draw attention to themselves, but they tell us, worship God. Revelation 22.9. And Mary in this passage, she needed, she needed the Lord. She needed her Lord and her God. And so you notice in verse 14, the angels are there, but then she turns from them, you see. They're not the answer. Jesus is. So she turns from the angels because she needs Jesus. He alone is the answer and he was there for her. And you know this tonight, did you know that he's here for you as well? Did you know that? Jesus is here too, for you. And you know, Mary eagerly sought for him and found him. And I wonder if you know that Jesus really is your answer tonight. See, nothing else. There is nothing else. No one else, not even angels, can meet your needs and change your life like Jesus can. What I also love about this personal encounter that Mary had with the resurrected Lord was that not only was she the, the first to see him, and she was. Isn't that amazing? The first person to see Jesus resurrected was a woman, Mary. She was there. And initially, as we know in the story, she didn't recognise him. But she heard him call her name. She heard him call her name. Jesus knew her name. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but out of the millions of people, and I'm not sure what the population of the earth was back in the days of Jesus, but out of millions of people, millions and millions of people who inhabited the earth back then, Jesus knew Mary's name. And out of the, from what I understand, 7 billion people on the earth at the moment, out of the 7 billion people who inhabit this earth today, did you know that Jesus knows your name? He knows your name. The question is, and what truly matters, is do you know his? Do you know his? Do you really know him? Do you know his name? That's what matters. Yes, he knows you. He loves you. The question is, do you know him and do you love him? As Mary did. Listen to these words. John 10, verses 3 and 4. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. They know his... Mary knew the voice of her shepherd and she followed him. Because apart from knowing, that, knowing his deep love for her and, and hers in response to him, Mary knew, Mary knew that only the Lord Jesus fully understood her and could meet her deepest needs nothing else could no one else could and it's the same today only Jesus can meet only he understands and only he can meet your deepest needs which included for her forgiveness and eternal life 
when you read this, when you think about that, what a deep effect the resurrected Jesus had on Mary. And I wonder tonight if you can relate in some way to Mary. You know, perhaps to form a new and eternal relationship with the Lord Jesus as Mary did. It's interesting how Mary just loved the Lord and when she saw him there was this great big embrace. I'm kind of imagining that's what it was like. And, and there's some translation who don't really do justice to that. It's not as if Jesus said, oh, don't, don't touch me because he invited other disciples to touch him. But see, she embraced Jesus and it was almost as if she say, you're mine, you're back again, you're all mine. And it was like Jesus was saying, don't, don't hold on to me, don't keep clinging to me. I haven't yet ascended to the Father. It was like he was saying, Mary, the relationship that you had with me in this physical body is going to be different now. It's going to be di different to what you knew me before. Different relationship. You need to go and tell others about me. I'm not just yours now. I'm everyone's and you need to tell people about me. And that's what she did. And there's a lot of debate amongst the commentaries about what the embracing meant, you know, and things like that. But that's, the, that's how I see it anyway. So that's Mary. The second person um, that I want to consider tonight who was deeply affected by Jesus immediately after his resurrection was, guess, Thomas. Thomas. Thomas is an interesting character. He was the disciple who was absent when Jesus appeared to the other disciples on that particular evening. John 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, which means a twin, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Wasn't with the disciples. He wasn't there. And, you know, again, as I thought about this point, when I thought about this point, you know, we all know, we all know and we all accept that it's not possible to be at every worship service. Unrealistic to think that we could be. But Thomas being absent from the others who were together when Jesus came among them, I kind of scratch my head. I can't help but think, Thomas, you know, where were you? Jesus came to, to meet you all. Where were you then? Where was he? You see, the Bible doesn't say where, where Thomas was. And in all fairness, he too was deeply grieving. And he may have been somewhere privately on his own grieving about what had gone on. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But I'm asking the question, you know, why was he missing when Jesus came to be with his spiritual brothers and sisters that time? You know? and, and we know that, that Jesus appeared to Thomas a week later. But I think he missed out on something very special on that occasion. And then, it, then I, we ask that question, don't we? Is it possible for you and me to also miss out on something special when we're absent from worship services? You know, and I'm referring to those times when we could have been there. But we chose, for whatever reason, not to be there. You know, the interesting thing is, and this is hard to do, but often, it seems to me, Often the times when we don't feel like coming to church, the times when we are down, when we're having a down, or the time when we, I don't want to get too nasty tonight, but the time when we have our own little pity parties, you know? 
normally it's, I would suggest that it's those times that you ought to be here. When you think that, no, this is the last place I want to go, I think sometimes it's probably the first place that you need to come. The best time for you to be there is probably when you don't feel like being there. I suppose that's what I'm really saying. So you need to think about that. Because God can meet you with the body of Christ around you like you wouldn't necessarily really appreciate. I know, again, I'm realistic, sometimes you can't be there. Many times I couldn't be there. I was a shift worker. We have people like that. There's legitimate reasons, obviously. But the times that you can be and you think, no, nope, not going, have a think about that. Thomas was also uh, one who, who doubted Jesus' resurrection. And that might be a bit harsh as well. Did he doubt or did he question? Did he question that Jesus had in fact risen from the dead? Was there in fact something very needy about Thomas? Whatever, whatever it was, um, he's recorded as saying in the gospel here in John 20 verse 25. Very emphatically it seems, he's saying this, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand to his side, I will not believe. That's how it sort of comes across to me as to how he's really saying that. I'll not believe. And Thomas has been described by some commentators as being the resident pessimist. <laughs> For example, just listen to what he says when Jesus proposed to go back to Judea to raise Lazarus from the dead. Listen to this little kind of dialogue here uh, in John chapter 11, verse 7 to 8. Um, this is how it goes. Then Jesus said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you and yet you're going back there? And then in verse 16, then Thomas called Didymus said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. <laughs> he didn't lack courage. You've got to give him that. But perhaps Thomas had a tendency to always kind of see the dark side of things in life. Possibly. Depends who you read. That's just a possibility. And um, yeah, always perhaps seeing the, the dark kind of things of life. And have you ever met people like that? A little bit pessimistic with things? I can remember as a young Christian, you know, my own pastor as a young, young man, a young Christian... Um, he used to say to us as a, a leadership team, I was, suppose I was an older Christian then, I was on the leadership team back then, and uh, he used to say to us, you know, he said, there are some people, even Christians, who no matter what you say, they will always only ever see the hole in the donut. <laughs> always see. You know, the glass half empty type thing, you know what I mean? You've probably met people like that. And you don't probably want to hang around people like that too long. Always see the, 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 the bad side of things, the, the, the dark side of life. Always seeing the hole in the donut. And perhaps Thomas was, was a bit like that. You see, he was also the one who, in response to Jesus saying in John chapter 14, when Jesus said, and you know the place where I'm going, Thomas pipes up and he says lord we don't know where you're going so how can we how can we know the way 
And I'm not sure if you can say he's being pessimistic there. Perhaps he's being realistic and he's being honest enough to say, Lord, we don't know, you better tell us. So was Thomas, in fact, pessimistic? Or was he a bit more reflective than the other disciples? Was it that he just needed concrete proof that the Lord he loved and saw nailed to the cross had in fact risen from the dead and he could therefore be lifted out of his own sense of hopelessness was it safe for him was it safe to believe that what the others had testified about about Christ was true or would his hope be dashed again I wonder if that's where Thomas was coming from and I wonder if you've ever felt like that. You're kind of really hesitant. You're kind of worried about building your hopes in case it might all just fall down again and be crushed again. I've met people like that. I've been like that. Just reticent about getting your hope. Don't get too excited because it might all just fade away again. It might all crash again. Perhaps Thomas was feeling a bit like that. You see, Thomas needed to know. And to me, what's very special, what's very precious about the Lord Jesus is that he also knew what Thomas needed. He knew what Thomas needed. And you know, that's the other precious thing tonight for us. Jesus knows your needs. He knows them. He knows your wants as well. We don't always get our wants, but he has promised to meet our every need. Jesus knows your needs. He sees our needs. He knew Thomas's needs, the things deep inside that only Jesus can see. And that's where he is with you and me. We can't read each other. We only see the external. Jesus sees the internal. He sees the real picture of who you are and what your needs are. That's why it's such a precious thing to meet with the Lord one-on-one. Say, Lord, search my heart. Because there's things in me, there's things about me that I can't even explain, but you see them. So Jesus comes to his disciples again a week later, and it would seem in particular to meet Thomas. Just to meet Thomas, whose needs Jesus saw and heard and knew about. Even though he wasn't physically there, He hears, knows, sees our needs. Look at this wonderful picture here. John 26 to 28 says this. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Peace be... Maybe some of you need to hear that tonight. There's a lot of households where Jesus needs to be in that household and you need to hear him say those words to you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you in your family, in your household. A lot of households out there that don't have peace. Invite Jesus in that he might speak peace over your family. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. I love how F.B. Meyer uh, described that moment. He said, at last Jesus came, not to curse or exclude Thomas, 
not to break the bruised reed or quench the smoking flax. And he's referring to Isaiah 42, verse, verse 3 in that passage, in, in what he was saying there. So he didn't come to, 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 to break the bruised reed or, or to quench that smoking flax, but to restore him and to lift on him the light of his countenance. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what Jesus does? And you know, the interesting thing here is there is no indication at all that Thomas took up the invitation that Christ gave him to physically examine the scars. Bible doesn't say that. And I suspect that Thomas didn't do that. I suspect that by simply Thomas being there, Jesus standing with him, him seeing Jesus, him hearing his name called was enough for Thomas. My Lord and my God. Jesus knew his needs and he met him there that day. And you know what? He's here tonight and he can meet you where you are too. But all Thomas needed to do was to hear his voice and it satisfied this needy disciple that Jesus loved and cared about. Chuck Swindoll says this about that same scene. He says, Christ's gentle rebuke said in effect, it's okay, Thomas. You can place complete confidence in me. I won't let you down. I'm here. I'm real. I won't abandon you. And you know, maybe, maybe this is exactly the kind of assurance that you need yourself tonight on this resurrection evening, this resurrection day. Maybe you need to have that kind of assurance. Jesus is here. He's real. He's alive. He won't let you down. He won't abandon you. Other people will. Guaranteed, I'll let you down. Jesus will never let you down. He'll never abandon you. I love this, the words from Isaiah, for example. If you've got a pen, just if you don't know this, you know, and you want some verses tonight, jot these ones down. Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10 and it says this, and you can almost think, because of the resurrection, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41.10. Isn't that a fantastic passage of scripture? Let that just flow over you tonight. And of course, the promise we have from the Lord Jesus himself in Matthew 28, verse 20, we call this the Great Commission. And Jesus said this as he sends us out to preach the gospel, to make disciples of all nations, as he tells us to do that. And he said, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He's with you always, every day, every moment, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, he's there. And you know what? He wants to be with you. Wants to be with you. I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And I think in that same context, we can get that tonight. Jesus saying, I'm eagerly desiring to be with you. More than perhaps we want him to be with us. That's the sort of God he is. Sort of saviour he is. Sort of relationship and intimacy that he wants with each one of you. 
You know, and Thomas's confession said it all, didn't it, really? Said it all. It's what the gospel's about. It's what the response that all of our hearts is about. My Lord and my God. All of his doubts, fears and insecurities are gone. He's met Jesus. Jesus is there. Such was the effect of the resurrected Lord on Thomas, on Thomas's life. You know, without any doubt, this is the kind of effect this same resurrected Jesus wants to have on your life and on mine. And I want you to think about what would be your response tonight? What's your response? Maybe it needs to be exactly like Thomas, where you need to say to him, my Lord and my God. Maybe you're at that place tonight where you need to say those words to him from your heart tonight. The third person, the third person that I want, to, um, want us to consider tonight who was also deeply affected by Jesus immediately after the resurrection was Peter. I could preach a whole series on Peter. So much to say about Peter. <laughs> Peter. No prize for guessing how Peter was feeling deep inside after failing Jesus so dramatically so publicly in the courtyard during his master's trial. Remember those words from Matthew 26, 74 to 75 says this. Then he began to call down curses. This is when he was accused. Weren't you one of, aren't you one of his disciples? I'm sure I saw you with him. And Peter, after all that, he says this. Then he began to call down curses on himself and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately the rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly, Matthew says. How would you be with Peter? How, how, would, you, how would you cope with that? <laughs> you know, it was over a charcoal fire that Peter denied the Lord. And it was over a charcoal fire that Jesus had made, the resurrected Jesus, when he met Peter and reinstated him. Um, it's important for us to note here tonight too that Peter didn't lose his salvation. But I believe he did fall from his discipling role with Christ as a disciple. Um, interesting, Warren, Warren Worsby, um, he says this. He said, there's a vast difference between sonship, that's being saved, and discipleship, following Jesus, following the Lord. And he says this, and I'm kind of still working out in my mind what I think about this, but he says this, not all Christians are disciples. When Peter sinned, he did not lose his sonship, but he did fall away from his discipleship. And I can understand what be saying there. And you know, but maybe tonight, maybe you're here tonight and you feel a bit like Peter. You know, where, where you failed Jesus... And you kind of wonder where you are with him. You need to know 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. I think that's a good passage of scripture 
for all Christians to have locked away somewhere in your heart, nowhere to find in the word. Because the accuser of the brethren, Satan himself, he will kick you when you're down. He will call you, he will accuse you. And you need to know verses like this, which then helps you to put back on the full armour of God, take up your shield of faith, use the sword of the Spirit and smite the enemy who is the accuser who will want to keep you down. You need to know that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you quote that verse as a Christian, Satan's mouth has to shut and he goes. You see, it's submitting yourself to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's using the promises of God. Important that we do that because there are times you're going to fall, I fall, you fall. But what I notice about this situation with Peter in, in John 21 is that it was the Lord Jesus who took the initiative and I believe he always does. Jesus took the initiative and he came for Peter. He came to Peter and gently reinstates him by asking him those three questions. Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Do you truly love me? Asked him those three times. I won't go into all that tonight. You know that story. And Peter, of course, said, yes, Lord, I do love you, you know, and, and so on. So do you truly love me? And then as a confirmation of forgiveness and reinstatement, Jesus, at the end of that, <clears throat> he calls Peter as he did at the first time when Jesus first called Peter to follow him. So Jesus does it again. He says, Peter, follow me. You need to follow me. But what about, what about that person? Peter, don't worry about that person. You follow me. You know, and Jesus is saying that to all of us tonight too. But Lord, what about him? What about her? Don't worry about him or her. That's my business. Your business with me is that you follow me. As he said to Peter, you follow me. Chuck Swindoll describes it like this. He says, just as Jesus gently rescued Thomas from his hopelessness, so the Lord pulled Peter from his despondency and he invited the humble disciple to recast his nets for another miraculous catch. Only this time, it was for the souls of human beings. Peter, follow me. And you know, perhaps tonight you've, you feel that you've failed the Lord and you feel a bit like Peter too. You know, but you need to be encouraged by what Jesus did for Peter because that's what he wants to do and will do with you if you meet him as Peter did. Jesus isn't going to push his way into your life. If there's things you need to get right with him, then get right with him. He's gentle, he's there for you, and you'll be so glad to unload whatever it is that you're carrying on him. Let him reinstate you. Let him he let, let, may you hear his words tonight. You need to follow me. Meet him as Peter did. And then Jesus will say to you, yep, follow me. And he will deeply affect, he will deeply affect you. And can I say he will deeply infect you by his spirit 
by his Holy Spirit in your life, by the power of his resurrected life. That's what he wants to do with you. He will infect your life with his resurrection love and power. How awesome is that? That's what Jesus wants for you tonight. And he'll do that as you do as Peter did and follow Jesus in every area of your life. That's what it means. Don't shut him out. Open up your heart. Let him see it all and let him heal you, touch you, reinvigorate you, re-energize you, fill you with his spirit and then follow him into the life that he has called you and has prepared for you to do. You won't find anything better than following Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you tonight. Thanks, Lord, again. It's the close of the, the Easter season, I guess. Holidays, sure, but our worship time when we come to specifically gaze upon you and let our hearts and our whole being be filled with your spirit afresh as we stand in awe with the disciples and and others who were there, Lord, at the empty tomb and, and just say, Lord, hallelujah, what a saviour. We worship the risen Lord. We don't come to a grave and read a headstone, but we come to an empty tomb. The, stole, the stone's been rolled away. We come to the one, and if we're looking at the grave, Lord, we hear the voice of the angel saying, why do you seek the living one amongst the dead? He's not here. He is risen. And so tonight we thank you, Lord Jesus, for doing what you did for us. Thank you for going to the cross. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for being buried for us. But thank you, Lord, that you rose from the dead for us so that we too can have life everlasting, complete and total forgiveness of sin, never fearing the grave, never fearing punishment, never fearing the punishment or torment of hell, all that, Lord, is nowhere near us as your people. You've delivered us from all that stuff. And we thank you tonight that when we turn to you, when we follow you as Peter did, we're yours forever. So help us, Lord, we pray, to not only be secure in that glorious truth, but give us hearts that are willing to share that with others who need to know this hope that we have. So thanks, Lord, for this great time tonight. Bless you for our time together. Be with us for the rest of this evening and send us on the way. Go ahead of us as the shepherd does, Lord. You go ahead of us into the day, tomorrow and the week. Go before us, plan the way, help us to follow you and you'll lead us into the day that you want us to have. Bless you, Lord. Thanks for your presence with us as we go now in your precious name. And all God's people said, amen. Bless you, folks. Thank you.